Hey, 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 welcome to Schoolhouse Talk. This is James Miles, the fresh professor in the house. And this is Chris Dykos. We hope you pull up a seat, grab something to drink, get something to eat, get ready to dig in, dive deep in some dope conversations where we talk about education and beyond. Here we go. Hey, Chris, you know, before we start, uh, this episode was so good. Talking to Dr. Clayton R. Cook was was amazing. Uh, Conversation went for a very long time. Yeah. So this is part one of two episodes on behavior. Yeah, we 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 spoke with him well over an hour. Um, I I had I I was editing it down, James, and it was still over an hour. So (laughs) we got a ton of content here for you. So we decided to go ahead and break this up into two episodes. Um, In the first one, he really starts getting into kind of like within school systems and um, some of the people who influence the decisions being made on how we can potentially change behavior within schools. And who who needs to be in in, who needs to be involved in that process of changing schools? Exactly. Exactly. So So let's dive into this. Let's let's do it. Yeah. Enjoy. Sorry, Clay. How's it going, James? You know, I'm trying something new. I'm trying to tr- see, like, how I introduce myself and welcome guests. So you, you get the full aggressive, what's up? <laughs> that won't, that'll change like over it. time. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being on this show. Uh, so, Clay, w- w- tell us about yourself. What's yeah. your origin story? How'd you get into this? You know, research is me search. Is as people say, you know, I, my dad's a high school dropout. I made poor choices. You know, you have some safety nets as a result and managed to get into college, was a paraprofessional, was a emergency credentialed teacher, middle school math teacher. I thought what? that was what, that's, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, realize kids bring needs that weren't being unmet. And then I decided to go become a school psych and cut the really cut the research bug in terms of really trying to answer questions because there's so many <laughs> unknown answers to a lot of the longstanding issues. So that's, I mean, I wanted to solve issues with kids who are struggling in school because I saw it with my dad firsthand and I myself experienced struggle. And there's reasons why we gravitate and are interested in the things we well, I think the question I have to ask uh, as a as a layperson who's never taught—just kidding—I've taught for a long time. Uh, what is behavior? How do you define it? Can you define yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I think you know scientifically we can define it. You know, as actions, observable things we see people say and do. Right. They're 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 visible. You yes. know, if you and if you go from like the iceberg metaphor. It's the things above the surface that we can see, that we can notice, but it doesn't explain why some, what we're seeing, because there's things underneath the surface that drive the things we do see. So when we think about behavior, it's just the things we see people do uh, in terms of the actions and words and their uh, nonverbal responses within the environments they're embedded. And how is that different than like just gesticulating or... Uh, walking on the street, when does it become behavior and when does it become just something you do every day, like breathing? 
So, you know, behavior is both voluntary and involuntary. Um, so it's the things that we do on purpose and the things we do involuntary that we might not even be consciously aware of. So mm-hmm. it encompasses both of those things. And that's why a lot of people engage in actions that they're not even consciously aware of that they're doing because yes. it's become automatic. Um, it's become fluent and it doesn't require kind of effortful thinking in order to engage in those behaviors, but establishing new behaviors. And that's what we're often trying to do to improve the world, our lives, the conditions in which kids exhibit uh, exist within requires effort and purposeful attention. And that's what makes it so hard because it's not automatic. Yeah. Could you, I, could I remember when I was in acting school, uh, having to modify our behaviors. Like our acting teacher would often, often call them shadow moves. You know, for, for a, a contemporary example, you know, think of um, Anthony Hopkins. I don't know if that's contemporary. <laughs> he hasn't been, hasn't been on in film or TV for, <laughs> for a long time. But Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, uh, who's, you know, whenever he's frustrated, holds his hand up. Um, or, or, or Denzel with, uh, you know, the way he moves his body or... Uh, Sean Penn, I'm thinking of a bunch of old actors. Let me think of someone more relevant, <laughs> like Leonardo DiCaprio and his eyebrows raised and, and his, his, it's all in his forehead, shadow behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about changing behavior. I don't even know how, is that possible? Well, I mean, think about culture in general. What people are, in terms of that's part of what defines culture, customs or patterns of how people behave and function. There are influences. People are born from a nature-nurture argument. We have our nature, but then nurture shapes how we behave and function based on the context that people are reared within. And so there are environments and types of experiences that begin to shape and mold the types of behaviors that could be beneficial um, to oneself and others from kind of a citizen or civic participation angle. And so there are all kinds of strategies and techniques to alter behavior. So much so there's a group called the Human Behavior Change Initiative, and it's a bunch of scientists from across the world that are getting together and really coming up with what is the science of behavior change strategies because our uh, existence as humans on this planet depends on effective behavior change. Ooh. Something you were saying earlier um, that behavior is observed. Is I, I'm wondering, is all behavior observed? Well, some people would say that there's inner, inner behaviors. Right, like perseveration is what I'm wondering yeah. about. Yeah, there's inner behaviors that are less noticeable, but they're happening. So are they observable? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> less observable or unobservable okay well, i'm perseverating right now so i'm just curious if you notice it. <laughs> can, can you can observe can, it i don't notice it okay can you talk about like something so, give an oh, example of that so yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to clarify on that so you're saying so i can observe it yeah okay but so it doesn't have to be observable to the observer unless the self is the observer Unless someone has a trained eye, a lot of the things we have is if someone has a trained eye, they can make an inference that someone's engaging in certain type of acts and the reasons for those behaviors. Okay. So typically what we're trying to say is from a behavior change standpoint, what are the observable behaviors 
that create better conditions for people to live within. And so we know what those actions are because those behaviors lead to people getting the types of experiences they need to be healthy, to be engaged Mm -hmm. and fully benefit from enriched experiences that help them develop and grow and, you know, take on purposeful, meaningful lives for themselves. Um, Can you you give an example? Like from your own, own, like whether you're your kid or yourself, um, an example of how you've noticed or observed behavior yeah. that was modified. Yeah. So you think about uh, reading as a behavior. Mm-hmm. We know that it's a life skill for people to be able to plug in because uh, reading is so much of what a- enables people to access their safety reasons to be able to read and so that's behavior I want to be purposeful about changing and cultivating based on the experiences I provide as a parent or an educator. So exposure to books are ways I can influence that. Modeling literacy, noticing words and pointing them out uh, are ways in which I can begin to shape the behavior of reading mm-hmm. based on the experiences I'm intentional about cultivating. Because if I'm aware of like reading is a a set of behaviors that obviously have internal processes, but it's a set of behaviors that's going to enable my kid to plug into life. Those become essential things that I can engage in behaviors to create those experiences for for my child. So I think that's one as a parent example. You take behavior to a policy level. We're trying to get people to vote, to create the realities for things to happen. And so we, we can put strategies like this recent election where we're trying to more people to come out and vote in certain ways because it's so important to get rid of toxic humans out of positions of leadership so we can actually create the conditions for people to be healthy and ultimately down the road get the, the things they need to just take care of their basic needs. There's certain acts that don't have to become highly myelinated in the sense of becoming fluent, repetitive, but we want people to perform the act because it's situational, like coming out to vote. That's not something you need to get, like, it's hard to imagine it becoming like a fluent behavior. Like I'm so good at going to a poll and filling (laughs) something out or whatever it is. It's an act. Right. We want to create the conditions that get people to perform that act. Right. Um, Versus, Certain behaviors we call skills, and skills are those things that we want people to become fluent and be able to do because they are necessary um, to meet the demands that, uh, of life, because like reading as a subset of right. skills that we want people to not just be able to kind of do it. We want people to be able to automatically do it. So the type of uh, supports and experiences we need to put in place involve repetition, and we have a proven model help people acquire fluent behavior patterns. It's called reps. How do pilots get good at flying? Simulations and simulations. And we don't put teachers, for example, in the same types of simulations to acquire automaticity and fluency with certain types of practices that are so essential to their profession. And so we have proven models where we can build fluent patterns of behavior if the skill sets are so essential to whatever role the person's playing. For a teacher, it's like, teaching and reading or whatever it could be for a leader. It's being able to provide uh, an adult with uh, feedback and keep them engaged in that learning process so they can develop and grow as individuals. What, what would you say to um, someone that would respond to you then say that's an elitist way of thinking, you know, behavior as reading, 
yes, it's a skill set. It's a behavior to like in Lakesh, I'm your other self mm. modeling reading for your, your kid, but going to college is elitist. So what I'm just trying it back into your behavior of like learning, creating a learned society. What's your response to that? Well, context defines the behavior. So like climate change behaviors or current climate issues define the behaviors that are important. Now, our society places a high value on reading. Now, in some certain situations, the context has to change. Mm -hmm. And so the behaviors, so those are important behaviors as defined by who and who's benefiting from those behaviors right. needs to be challenged. But when we have a healthy context, that's what we're trying to work towards. Mm -hmm. This healthy context is what we're, what are the behaviors that are important to kind of enable and create that healthy context or allow people to thrive and function within that healthy context. But all behaviors are contextually bound. And sometimes the, if they're contextually bound to a toxic environment, mm -hmm. such as a, 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 what we're currently living in in our country for people of color, that we have systemic racism that's institutionalized and stuff. No, we have to radically change the context for people. And that's why things like in school, positive behavior interventions and supports, we have to think about what type of context, what are we really cult uh, cultivating mm -hmm. here and how do we adapt those methods to ensure they're not advantaging one group over the other because they're really just elevating a particular cultural subset of behaviors that are you know, grounded in whiteness. Right. Oh, oh yes, I know. <laughs> that I'm, I'm very hip to. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about going to a movie theater. Uh, Magic Johnson movie theater, which uh, do they have those here in Washington State? The Magic Johnson theaters? I don't know about that. Yeah. No, I just just thought about that. But they're generally in neighborhoods that are black and brown, African American, Latinx neighborhoods. And as we are wont to do, the movie going experience is much more interactive with the characters getting respond to us. But we do tell the characters what to do on the screen. Now, that behavior is not accepted in traditional white right. society. Right. Um, but we would, you know, often, oh, hey, shut up. Yeah. Oh, I could. Yeah. yeah. Quieted. You're not acting civilized. This is not how you behave in public. So I, I appreciate what you're saying about context being uh, influencing behavior. <laughs> and it's all contextually bound. And yes. We've been environments yeah. where... You know, you're like, the behaviors don't need to change. The freaking environment needs to right. be a change to be more accepting of difference. And mm -hmm. the behaviors aren't a problem. Like, you know, especially in schools, I always, it's the contradictions, the adults in learning experiences, their behavior on technology and stuff is okay. But then when students do those same behaviors in their class, they get all up in arms and they want to punish kids. And it's like, well, don't you notice as adults, you're doing the same right. behaviors when you're in a learning context? Mm -hmm. I, I love when I'm teaching teachers and I'm walking around the room and, you know, what, what do they do when, I, when I'm using proximity walking by them? You know, they flip their cell phones over when I come by, right? I'm changing their behavior. Like, I'm actually influencing that behavior. And at the same time, I'm thinking you're saying the exact same thing, Clay, is that like, oh my gosh, if your students had their cell phones out while you were teaching and, and you see the, the prevalence of it, you're not going to like yell at this class and just lose your mind. The context of it, right? But, and again, the wonder is like, why are we trying to teach kids to do something different than we do as adults? 
why are we even behaving that way? Like, it's ridiculous to have this, like... And why would you change behavior that's just normal human behavior, given learning context, and they're not really a problem? Right. 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 Someone struggles because they don't like it. And why don't they like it? And that's culturally informed. When we have behaviors that rub us the wrong way, it's likely to be something that doesn't fit within kind of our cultural mm-hmm. mindset based on our own upbringing and our experiences. So have you observed any, like, can you point to a, a systemic change in behavior that you've noticed within your lifetime? Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's so many. I think <laughs> right now, it just with, uh, politically speaking, with the uh, polarization behaviors that are happening and the boldness of uh, certain belief systems that were there lurking, but now they're more prevalent and out in our face, largely driven by a leader who was modeling those types of actions where people felt more comfortable to start to engage in certain behaviors consistent with the beliefs, the things that were below. And that's something that's been real and tangible that isn't healthy for our society where you're seeing greater levels of that, those types of behaviors. And that's from a political sense. I've seen uh, behaviors around discipline shift as there's policies. I've always appreciated policy, but it wasn't until like COVID that I really, really appreciated like what policies can do. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't like it, a policy can shut down behavior. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we need behaviors policies to shut down certain behaviors, but then in schools like alternatives to suspension, you see sneaky behaviors where they're still excluding kids. They're just not, they're doing so in a less overt way. So you, you know, you just shift the behavior. If you haven't really changed the mindset and the belief systems, you're just going to get different looking behavior, but it's serving the same purpose, which is to remove a kid that an adult doesn't want to deal with. So for for that to change in the classroom, the adult has to shift their mindset and shift what the environment looks like. You know, we were talking about uh, least least restrictive environment. They have to create that same LRE for all of their students. And sometimes the restrictions are self-imposed. I don't like the way your hair looks. I don't like the clothes you're wearing. I don't like the way your paper is positioned on your desk. I don't like that the fact that your 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 video's not on during during remote schooling. Right. So therefore your behavior is indicating that I don't trust you, I can't respect you as a student. When the student's like, look, I'm caring after my, my kids, my my sister, my sister's kids. Uh I got so much going on behind me. I don't want to show my face. Right. Um, yeah. Just rambling now. But <laughs> no, it takes a paradigm shift. And yeah, I mean, yeah. when I paradigm shift, a different way to think right. about how we interpret what students are doing and our re- effective responses and reaction to what students are doing. And that it, it be- begins with beliefs and our mindsets on how we approach and interpret what's going on with students and ourselves as we're, you know, interacting with them. So what what is that? What is that struggle that we experience when we seek to change a behavior? So um, what is that struggle that we experience when we're trying to shift a habit? You know, there's models out there that are helpful to begin to dissect and come up with kind of the root cause that might be driving challenges with behavior change. Mm -hmm. One model is called Comb B. It's called uh, 
capabilities, opportunities, and motivation. So one reason could be someone doesn't have the full capabilities, the knowledge and the skills to be able to pull off the behavior. They're struggling to be able to regulate and do the behavior. Another is someone just doesn't even have the opportunities to do the behavior. So there's limited opportunities to engage in the behavior. So they can't engage in the behavior. So you have to create the opportunities to do it. And last, there could be motivational reasons. They're not motivated to do it. And so then there's reasons that underlie lack of motivation and you target those reasons to promote behavior change. And that's one model. There's also well-established evidence-based models, such as the theory of planned behavior. And the theory of planned behavior would say attitudes, social norms around the behavior and self-efficacy drive people's intentions to follow through with certain behaviors. And that explains why people don't engage in certain behaviors. But enacting behaviors is a different stage of there's the motivational and then there's the enactment. Someone can be motivated, but don't enact the behaviors. Enactment really requires supports like planning, feedback, uh, supportive accountability mechanisms, protected time. Those types of things help people enact behaviors they're motivated to exhibit. So target. So when you're saying target behavior, um, I'm thinking about within the educational setting. Targeted behavior means that you're given specific instruction or supports in explaining how to do that behavior. You're providing the opportunity for that behavior to occur. You're providing the time for the behavior to occur. And you're trying to reinforce it. There you go. I mean, it has to come in contact with some type of, you know, favorable experience or outcome as a result of the behavior. So we want people, and that's that reinforcement where the behavior has come come in contact with a wanted experience. And so for our listeners on what, James? Schoolhouse Talk. Schoolhouse Talk. Schoolhouse Talk. Which we haven't done yet. We're supposed to remind people what they're listening to. Um, oh, yeah. You're listening to Schoolhouse Talk. Clay, this is welcome. James and Chris. Welcome, Clay. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, Clay. Thanks for joining us again. On Schoolhouse Talk. Um, so we're, we're – um, and so I'm thinking about like as for educa- – a lot of educators are our audience, and I'm just thinking about like – that process of that target behavior and seeking to reinforce it, how long is that going to take for somebody to, you know, ideally, like we're focused on a student who's struggling um, with the reading. Um, they're not as motivated by reading. Um, I'm thinking about myself. Like I, mm-hmm. I struggle with reading. I was diagnosed with dyslexia. That was my IEP, ADHD and dyslexia. Um, real fun student to have in class. Um, <laughs> get them off. I bet class. people really tolerated you. All well. the time. Mm. So, and so the, um, and so I'm wondering about, um, a person who is working with a student such as myself when I was a student, how long is that going to take for, to change my behavior, to actually sustain reading, to focus on reading, to, um, not be discouraged by the lesson being placed in front of me? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not an event, you know, it's a process, right? Now, this is where individual differences, we can't tell you exactly. There is no like litmus test. You give someone, give you like a saliva sample and it's like, oh, you're a four-weeker. And that one's what we know. It's a process, but we know with reps and some people, you know, with a few reps, they can get things pretty established depending on how potency the reinforcement and how the acquisition goes. Some kids just need longer and it is a process. It's like, would you expect a kid to read with fluency in three weeks? 
No, we spend years yeah, doing right. it. But then when it comes to like te- cultivating behaviors, right. we expect change within a week. We don't look at it from the same kind of skill acquisition we would an academic right. subject, so right. to speak. Right. I always pull back on zone of proximal development. Like right. Making sure that it's achievable and that that kid's on that trail and that kid's path may be longer than others. So what do you say to the teacher who's like, look, this kid is, let's call him Rashad. This, this kid, Rashad, he's just, that's just the way he is. He's never going to change his behavior. He's always going to be that way because his parents are that way. Right. right? What, how do you respond to that? I mean, that's something that would need to be, I think, confronted pretty directly. <laughs> like <laughs> that way of thinking defies all the evidence and the science we have around human behavior, development and growth. What we need to, another way we need to think about is what's Rashad's baseline and what's the next step that we could support for him to achieve because everybody can develop and grow based on us tailoring experiences to where they're at. And so, yes, this, but, but Clay, that he's still not going to pass his test. I got to make sure I get my minutes in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? We got to teach XYZ subjects. Yep. We don't have time to change his behavior. Right. He's just going to go to the principal's office. He's impeding the education of others. And we're going to continue to make sure he doesn't get his needs met. Right. Right. And other kids don't need the same degree of tailoring. I mean, this, this is so alive and well in school systems where we're willing to sacrifice certain students for the benefit of kids who are often doing or already pretty well. And we can't imagine the kids who are already doing all well, that, that their, their growth curve kind of, uh, you know, doesn't, it, it flattens. It plateaus. Even, yeah. <laughs> even though if it's flattening, it's still good. Right. But no, I want it to still go up for those kids. And so it, these equity issues, we just got done with the project that's relationship focused where kids transition into ninth grade. And some of our findings, people are going to go, what? Because the white kids kind of got worse. Oh, as it, the whole it, relationship, it was an equity focus. We have relationship uh, reflection forms where it's focusing on the kids who need it. So kids who don't really need it, don't get that as much attention. Right. right. And that is equity. Are we going to be okay as a culture when kids who are in a really favorable state, they, they dip a little, they still maintain in a favorable right. state, but they dip. Right. Are we going to be okay with that? Cause that's the only way we're going to close gaps. Um, I suspect that you may get a little pushback there, Clay. You think? <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. It, it's going to be a big emotion it's... regulation experience for white dominant parents. Right. Who come from privileged backgrounds. Right. Cause how does it happen? Like all tides arise. We're going to still have those who are benefiting. no, it means something has to flatten and something has to be steeper. Right. Right. Fundamentally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. What, but, and why should my kid have to suffer? Because this kid doesn't have your good kids. Parents. Your kid's yeah. not suffering. That's what we got. They are just, they're still in a good place and there's no evidence if they keep just growing right. that that means they're going to be healthier, have a way better life and stuff. Just be okay with the fact that they're still in a good state in and, place. And the, and and if that goes like this, well, guess what? The disproportionality is still there, even though we're all growing together. <laughs> right. It's like, but is, is that is and that look. behavior? <laughs> right. When that parent says that uh, <laughs> my kids are going to suffer, why should my kids suffer? That's that parent's behavior showing itself 
for lack of a better word, as we would say, showing their ass to, to, to right. everyone like, oh, you think you're better than us. Right. And the, the answer, unfortunately, it's has yes. been, yes, I do think I'm better than you. <laughs> right. So having that conversation like your kid will be just as fine. Do not worry about it. It's going to be it's going to take some some effort, especially when the teachers look more like me than they do you. Saying like, no, your kid's going to be okay. You're only saying that because you care about the black kids more than the white kids. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, I care about your student or your child and I want all of my students to achieve well. So just a lot of questions about behavior. Uh, uh, we, I mean, that's why everything boils down to behavior change though. If we yeah. want to really right. create equity, it requires all stakeholders to engage in certain types of behaviors that are supportive and equity happening. You know, you start to, uh, systems start to repurpose uh, school boundaries and lines because they want to make sure resources are distributed. And what always happens, the affluent white parents go go up in arms and stuff and often squash those types of initiatives within districts. And so there's a lot of preventing uh, prevention from happening among certain uh, stakeholders who hold positions of power and influence given you know, they come from the dominant group. Yo, Chris. Yeah. Dr. Cook got deep. He's a deep dude. He's a deep dude. Yeah. I mean, he talked about how he got into into the work, you know, being a student that didn't thrive and, sur- right. and just survived, leading into behavioral systems and how, how that needs to be modified on a individual level right and that yeah right that's it right at the individual yep. level if we, if we're going to change a system we got to reflect on our own behavior and do the hard work of that hard work of change yep. right that's right and it's it's not easy right you can't do it in isolation you 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 have to have people you trust right um and it's not going to happen overnight right right yeah so speaking of not happening overnight, part two is coming up. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, everybody enjoyed this, and um, we hope that you uh, enjoyed this episode of Schoolhouse Talk. Talk. There you go. And this is your boy, James Miles. This is Chris Dykos. Uh, please like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, wherever you see us. Please share the word. Yeah. We're hoping to have several more of these uh, conversations, and we hope that this is a provocative discussion for you. And um, we'll talk to you. We'll we'll be talking to you next time on Schoolhouse Talk.